please have a seat. Uh, and uh, can I add my word of welcome to that of Vincent just now? Uh, thank you for being with us uh, this evening uh, for our Evensong service. Uh, we're continuing our, our Lenten series, uh, looking at the five solos of the Reformation, uh, in particular um, uh, as it's the 500th anniversary uh, of the Reformation. We are marking it uh, this year. Uh, can I get you to turn with me, please, to the uh, middle page of the bulletin? The middle page of the bulletin, uh, because there it has an uh, outline of tonight's sermon. Uh, and we're, we're going to look at two passages in particular. One of the passages is uh, uh, already printed there in 2 Timothy 3. Uh, the other passage, if I could get you to open your Bibles and put the bookmark on page 977. Page 977, if you can put the bookmark in your Bible there, then later on when we come to it, we'll all go quickly go straight there. We won't uh, have to spend any time flipping. All right, so page 977, the bookmark there on Matthew 15. Uh, and uh, 2 Timothy 3 is in the outline already anyway. You can look at it in your Bible if you want, uh, or we can just look at it from the outline. Already, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. We thank you that you have been speaking even as um, your Word was read and sung. Uh, and we pray now, Lord, as we come to consider uh, your Word together, as we look and see what it says about, about the doctrine of Scripture itself, we pray that you open our hearts and minds uh, by your Spirit, that you help us to uh, see Jesus uh, and love him and trust him. Um, we pray that your spirit who gave us this word will, will uh, so fill me that I might speak uh, your word in, in, in his strength and power. Uh, and may he work in each one of our hearts and cause us to respond uh, in a way that honors you. Uh, so we commit this time to you, Father. Uh, please work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, three weeks ago, we saw that we are saved by God's grace alone. Uh, and remember that grace means unmerited favor. It means God treating us in a way that's far, far better than we deserve. We are saved because God has been gracious to us. It is God's work from beginning to end. He's the one who chose us. He's the one who rescued us. He's the one who made us his own. He's the one who keep us in the end so that for all eternity, we will enjoy and we will give thanks to God for, for the wonders of his grace. We are saved by grace alone. And then two weeks ago, we saw that we receive this, this gift of salvation by faith. That is, we don't receive that grace by, by our own efforts, it's not that we get a bit of grace and we have to work hard to get a little bit more grace and we work a little bit harder to get a bit more grace. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's by faith alone. That is by trusting uh, in what God has done uh, and not by our works. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And all that is a gift from God. Uh, it is not by works, so no one can boast. But then last week we looked at the object of our faith because saving faith is not faith in faith. It's not, if I believe that I'm saved, then I'm saved. It's faith in Christ. We rely on Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. We trust in him uh, and his death in our place. We rely on him as our risen Lord to rule us and lead us. Christ is the only one who can save us. 
And if Christ saves us, then we don't need anything or anyone else to save us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is all very good news, isn't it? It is very good news because if we are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, then, well, it's not about our performance. Uh, it's not about how good uh, we, we can be. And so we can, we can have assurance of salvation because it's not depending on us, it's depending on Christ. Uh, we can be sure that we are forgiven now and that we will be with God forever if we're relying on Jesus and not relying on me. But how do we know all this? How do we know that this good news is true? Well, we, we, we know it from the Scriptures. But in order to be sure this is right, we must... We must also be sure that Scripture has the ultimate authority. Because if the authority of Scripture is on the same level as the authority of something else, like the tradition or the teachings of the church, then tradition or the institution can add things to Scripture. And they can add all kinds of other requirements for salvation apart from faith in Christ alone. And they can do so quite legitimately because their authority is on the same level as Scripture. And in the Middle Ages, that's, well, that's exactly what they did. Uh, the teach, church teaching that kind of like grew up step by step uh, over the years was saying, yes, 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 Jesus died on the cross to save us, but we can only access his salvation through that medieval church system that developed, through seven sacraments, uh, which the institution controlled uh, and therefore controlled your salvation. Uh, actually, that's different from the two sacraments of the gospel that, that we so wonderfully uh, enjoy because they point us to Christ. Um, uh, it's through the saints, uh, th through the priests and the sacrifice of the mass, through, through the adoration of relics and pilgrimages and, and paying money to the church. And, and after all that, you still didn't really have assurance of salvation. But then the reformers went back and they went back to the Bible and they said, look what the Bible says. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But you see, that only works if Scripture alone is the highest authority. If tradition or institution has the same authority as Scripture, then, then you cannot base your argument on Scripture alone. And the ever-growing tradition or corruptible institution will have an equal say, which means you have to reinterpret Scripture to accommodate their teaching. And you're in danger of once again losing the, the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so this sola, sola scriptura, scripture alone, that scripture alone has got the highest authority is actually foundational uh, for all the other solas that we've been talking about thus far. So let's think a little bit more carefully uh, about the authority of scripture. Now, we're now point two of the outline. How do we know that the Bible is the authoritative word of God? How do, we, how do we get there? Well, let us begin, we're right at the beginning, by considering the gospel itself. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is Lord, that he lived the perfect life, that he died for our sins in our place, and that he rose again showing himself to be God's promised eternal king. And there are many things that will commend the gospel to us. Uh, there is a historical evidence for the resurrection, very good evidence indeed. 
There are amazing ways in which the, whole, the Old Testament prophecy and picture and promise are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There is our own spiritual experience of God and, and his work in our lives. But in the end, you know, we are so sinful that we would never actually receive Jesus as our Lord, never really rely on him for our salvation if it were not for the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts, who enables us to, to trust in Christ as our Savior. And so when we receive the gospel message and the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and points us to Christ and shows him to us and enables us to believe in him as Lord, then, then, then we are saved. And we know that Jesus is our Lord. And if Jesus is our Lord, then we, then we listen to what he says about everything, including Scripture. His attitude to Scripture must be our attitude to Scripture. If he is our Lord and, and the Lord Jesus together with the apostles whom he appointed, points us to the scriptures as the very words of God himself. I've got some references in your outline which you can look up at home, but let me just talk about some of them. Uh, Jesus said he came to fulfill the Old Testament. Indeed, he taught that his death and resurrection were prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the words there as those of the Creator. He quotes Exodus 3, 6 with the words, Have you not read what God said to you? He quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, as David speaking by the Spirit says, dot, 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 dot. He regarded the fifth commandment as the command of God, as well as what Moses said. He rebuked those who did not know the Scriptures, and he taught that the Scriptures were the Word of God and could not be broken. And he taught his apostles, those authorized representatives of his, to think about them in the same way as well. And so Peter would later write that, that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And not only did Jesus believe the Old Testament, he also anticipated the New. He promised the Spirit whose, whose words the prophets had spoken would lead the apostles into all truth, that he would bring to remembrance the things that he had taught them and would reveal still more things to them. That is why even in New Testament times, Peter referred to Paul's letters as Scripture. And Paul, quoting Deuteronomy and Luke together, calls them Scripture. See, we believe the Bible because Jesus is Lord. We believe the Bible is the Word of God because we trust in Jesus. And if we believe the Bible is God's word, we, we need to take its claim about itself seriously. Now have a look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 14 to 16 on your handouts. Uh, here the apostle Paul has been warning Timothy about evil people and imposters who will deceive others and be deceived themselves. And he says this in verse 14. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The sacred writings here are the, are the Old Testament that Timothy has been, been acquainted with since childhood. His mother and his grandmother would have taught it to him. And Paul says these, these sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, these Old Testament scriptures are able to tell Timothy what he needs to be saved through faith in Christ Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? The Old Testament itself shows us how to be saved through faith in Christ. And then Paul goes on to speak about all Scripture, that is everything within the category of Scripture, whether it's Old Testament or New. And he says in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's God-breathed. Now what does that mean? Well, your breath carries your words, doesn't it? When you speak your words, it's on your breath. And if Scripture is God-breathed, that means they are the words of God. Now, of course, there are human authors at the same time. And, of course, there are personalities, there are situations, there are context, their way of writing comes into it. But you know what? God has planned all those things. He's sovereign over all those things, their personalities, their situations, their context, their sources, so that in the end, what we have is exactly what he wanted written. Just like Jesus is both human and divine, the the Bible was both the the words of men and the word of God. Scripture is God-breathed, comes from God's mouth. And then you notice that the word breath in both Hebrew and Greek is the same word as spirit. Uh, You can see that the Bible is is God-spirited. It is spirited by God. God, God, God's spirit brings us God's word. The spirit is the one who causes the word to be written. That's why when when Jesus quotes the psalm in Matthew 22, he speaks of the author as David in the spirit. And it's not just that the spirit gave the word back then. The the spirit continues to speak the word now. Uh, If you go to Hebrews 4 verse 7, it quotes Psalm 95, a part of scripture written 1,000 years before that. It introduces it with God spoke through David and said, Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, there's no surprise there, right? God, David's a human author. God's a divine author. God spoke through David. But back in the previous chapter of Hebrews, in chapter 3, verse 7, it introduces the same psalm with this. It says, The Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, yes, God spoke through David. At the same time, the Holy Spirit says, Today, don't harden your hearts. Psalm 95 was not just a record of God's word in the past. The Holy Spirit continued to speak through that psalm a thousand years later to the people in the first century. And friends, that's the same today, isn't it? The Bible is not just a record of God's word in the past. It's how the Holy Spirit continues to speak to us today. He continues to work and he works in our hearts to accept it and receive it as God's word, to to, to believe it. Uh, the will to obey it. And whenever we we read God's word in faith, seeking Christ and wanting to obey him, it's the Holy Spirit at work, speaking to us through it. And that is a profoundly spiritual thing. Now, the fact that the Bible is God's word and God continues to speak to us by the Spirit through that word, well, that's got big implications for how we treat it. Because how we treat God's word is a reflection of how we treat him. If you speak to me and I ignore your word, well, actually I'm ignoring you. If I disobey your words, I'm disobeying you. If I twist your words to make them something you didn't mean, well, I'm showing disrespect for you. If I say your words are wrong, I'm saying that I know better than you. Now, how we treat God's word is how we treat him. And so when we come to the scriptures, we must come with humility. It mustn't be people who set ourselves up to judge God's word or presume to disagree with it. We must, we must tremble before it. 
We must work hard to read it properly in context because we don't want to misunderstand him. We must use our minds when we come to use it because we're, we're to love God with our minds, but we've also got to keep this word above us, not below us. We sit under its authority. It does not sit under ours. We are judged by it. It is not judged by us. Jesus is our Lord and he rules us by his spirit through his word. And if he's the number one boss in our life, then his word must have the number one authority in our life. And so the fact that the Bible is God-breathed means that it carries the authority of God. That's our first point. The second point on the outline that I want us to note about the scriptures is sufficiency. All right, now we've already seen that the, that the sacred writings are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ, but the Bible doesn't just tell us what we need for salvation. It tells us what we need to know to live a godly life. Uh, chapter two, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 continues, All scripture is breathed up by God and is profitable for teaching, that is for, for telling us who God is, who we are, what life is about, how to relate to him, all kinds of things. For, for reproof, that is for rebuking. For, it tells us off when we, we do something wrong or we teach something wrong. For, for correction, it sets us back on the right path, both in terms of, of doctrine and, and conduct. And for training in righteousness, that it instructs us, it molds us like, like children being brought up by their parents to, to, to live a certain way. The Bible brings us up to, to live a righteous and godly life. And then it says, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Every good work. All we need to know in order to be saved and to live a godly life in Christ is found here. The Bible is sufficient. And that's, that's terribly liberating, isn't it? Because it means we, we don't have to wonder what God wants us to do. It means we don't have to go from circuit on that circuit, you know, from conference to conference or speaker to speaker, trying to find out what God's will is so that we can live by it. If we want to know what God's will for us is, we, we find it in here. Now, the Bible's not going to tell us whether to have nasi lemak or roti canai for, for breakfast tomorrow, but it will tell us about the things that God sees as significance, like love and faithfulness and self-control. If the Bible is not answering our questions, then maybe we should change the questions and let God set the agenda for what is and isn't important. And we will find that his word has plenty of things to say about the issues he wants to address us with. And there are things it doesn't address directly, but it gives us principles to apply and tells us to pray to God for wisdom in applying it. But as far as revelation goes, the Bible tells us all we need to know in order to be saved and to live a godly life. So let's now go to point four on that outline and think about alternatives to the Bible alone as the highest authority. Because you remember, the problem at the Reformation 500 years ago was that church tradition had taken the same level of authority as Holy Scripture. But you know, that wasn't really a new problem. Jesus had to deal with a very similar problem among the Jews of his day. Now come with me now uh, to your bookmark on Matthew 15 on page 977. Page 977, Matthew 15. 
And there in verse 1, we see the Pharisees and scribes coming to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they want to criticize him, and they go the slightly roundabout way by criticizing his disciples. And so they say to him in verse 2, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? You see, they believe that Scripture and the tradition of the elders are both authoritative, and in fact, they actually believed you needed the tradition in order to properly interpret Scripture. But Jesus doesn't agree with their way of thinking. Now, he says that by adding to the authority of Scripture, by putting tradition in the same level, they actually diminish the authority of God's Word. He says to them in verse 3, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And he gives them an example of that. I don't have time to go into the details right now, but essentially that by adding their tradition to Scripture, they've created a situation by which they can escape their obligation uh, to their parents, which they would have been under if Scripture was the highest authority. And so Jesus says to them at the end of verse 6, So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And then he has some very caustic words to say to them in verse 7 to 9. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They taught as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, they claimed to believe the Old Testament, but they gave their traditions the same kind of authority, which in the end meant that tradition nullified the scriptures or made void the word of God. Friends, tradition can be helpful. Indeed, tradition is helpful. Uh, tradition is actually very important. Uh, we are not the first generation of Christians. There are so many things that we can learn from our forefathers. We, we stand on the shoulders uh, of, of, of others. Don't, don't, we hear me, don't hear me rubbishing tradition. And I think we've got a good tradition in our Anglican formularies, and, and I, for one, am grateful for that. But in the end, tradition must always be tested by the Word of God. Our reformers themselves always said that the Reformed Church must always be reforming. If it is God's Word, Scripture alone, that has the final authority, then that's the way it ought to be, not having something else at the same level. Another issue at the time of the Reformation were with people called enthusiasts. They were diehard for the Reformation, but they went, they went too far. You see, what they did was they, they took out tradition from being co-authoritative with Scripture, but then they put their own subjective spiritual experiences in there instead. And so once again, the authority of Scripture was taken away, this time replaced by their own feelings and visions and dreams. And sometimes this had tragic consequences. Uh, like when many people died because they thought God was leading them to some kind of final battle in Germany. And friends, even today, there's all kinds of things we experience in the world, good and bad. They may be experiences which we call spiritual experiences, or they may be pretty ordinary experiences. But all of them need to be tested by Scripture. For example, if we're going through a very hard time, we, we may conclude from our experience that God doesn't love us. We look around, we see everything's going bad, we see, oh, terrible. Yes, 
does God love me? Maybe, maybe he doesn't. My experience tells me no. But friends, it's the Bible, not experience, that's the final authority. And the Bible shows us God's love for us in the death of Christ. And, and so we trust that God is good and that he loves us in spite of our experience. We, we interpret our experience under the authority of Scripture. We don't let our experience override the authority of Scripture. Uh, unlike a couple I've heard of who, who after praying concluded that God was saying it's okay for them to sleep together before they're married. Well, it's obvious from Scripture that God was telling the couple nothing of that sort. They were letting their own desires trick them into sin by telling them things that were contrary to Scripture and calling it God's guidance. Let the Scriptures tell us about experience. And let the Scriptures tell us what experience is important and, and what isn't. Uh, there are sometimes things that many Christians say, oh, you really must have this experience. This is, this is, you really, really need to have this. This is, must happen to you. And, uh, but actually, when you look at it, it's not even there in the Bible. Well, it can't be important, can it? If it's not even in the Scriptures. On the other hand, Scriptures tell us what the experiences are that are most important. And the most important experience is the experience of, of coming to know and trust and love and obey Jesus, of realizing our own sinfulness, looking to him as our Savior, putting our trust in him and, and knowing that for sure. You see, friends, Scripture and experience are not equal sources of authority. Experience is important. Again, don't hear me saying bad things about experience. Experience is important, but it must come under the authority of Scripture. Another contender for ultimate authority is, is human reasoning. Again, reason is important. Reason can tell us many things about the world. Uh, we use our reason to help us to understand and apply the Bible. But reason in and of itself will not lead us to the ultimate truth about God. Our, our own reasoning is flawed by sin. And so when we come to God's word, reason is only a tool. God's word is the authority. And when the church has forgotten this, you get situations like in the West where church leaders say, well, the Bible is wrong here and here. And, you know, I agree with this bit. I don't agree with this bit. And you follow this bit. You don't have to follow this bit. We can pick and choose because we think we are smarter and we can stand in judgment on the Bible. Like tradition, like experience, reason has a valuable place. But sola scriptura, that is the Bible alone, teaches us that the Bible alone has the highest authority overall. So, what have we seen this evening? We have seen that the Bible is God's word. Therefore, it carries God's authority, the highest one. It tells us what we need in order to be saved. And it tells us what we need in order to live a godly life in Christ. We don't need anything else. Scripture is sufficient for salvation. There are many good things that are not found in Scripture. There are many true things that are not found in Scripture. There are many interesting things that are not found in Scripture. But anything that is not there, we don't need to know in order to be saved and to live a godly life. We're not going to turn up in heaven and God say, oh, actually, you know, by the way, there was one more requirement to enter my kingdom other than faith in Christ. I, I didn't put it in the book. You've got you to dye your hair red as well. Right? So only a few of us will be able to get that. 
Actually, there'll be no surprises. The Bible is sufficient. That's the teaching of the Bible itself. And, and thank God that that's, that's the teaching of our Anglican denomination. Uh, let me read to you from the 39 articles, uh, the doctrinal statement of the Anglican Church. It says this, Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man that it should be believed as an article of faith or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. Right? If it's not there, you don't have to believe it. And if it's not there, you don't need it in order to be saved. But friends, let me finish by telling you one thing about Sola Scriptura that it doesn't mean, lest we misunderstand it. Sola Scriptura doesn't mean that we are saved by the Scriptures themselves. We are saved by faith in Christ, not by knowledge of the Bible. Right? Jesus once scolded the, the Jewish leaders because they studied the Old Testament so hard, but they didn't believe in him. You search the scriptures, he said, because you think that in them you have eternal life, but you refuse to come to me, of whom they bear witness that you might have life. See, scripture, when we say scripture alone, we're not saying that scripture alone saves. We're not saved by Bible study. Scripture alone tells us what we need to know in order to be saved. Scripture tells us that we are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. That is the basis of salvation. And we can be confident if the Scripture is the highest authority and the Scriptures tell us that our salvation is by faith in Christ alone, then if we trust in Christ, we can be confident that this is God's final word on the matter. And we can be confident in our salvation. One of the greatest theologians of the 20th century uh, was visiting America. He was from Germany. He's a brilliant guy, brain the size of a football field, you know, written many more, many more theological works than I could ever read. Uh, and uh, let alone try and understand. And he comes to this conference in America, and he, at this press conference, uh, and somebody asks him a question. He says, what is the most profound theological truth that you've ever discovered? And the old theologian thinks for a moment, and he lifts up his gray head, and he says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's really profound, isn't it? Because of Sola Scripture, because of Scripture, we can know for sure that Jesus loves us and that we are saved. If you are trusting in Christ alone, then Sola Scriptura, the fact that Scripture has the highest authority, means you can be sure of your salvation on the basis of God's word. If you're not trusting in Christ alone, then can I urge you tonight to come to him of whom the scripture speaks. For in Christ and in Christ alone, there is forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your Spirit you have given us your word. And we thank you that you continue to speak to us uh, by that Spirit, through that word, uh, even today. And we pray that you continue to work in our hearts by your Spirit, that, that we may be people who love you and therefore love to hear your word and obey your word. We thank you that in the scriptures you, you give us everything we need in order to be saved and to, and to live under Jesus as our King. We pray that you help us to be confident in that so that by your grace we may all be people who place our full faith in Christ and in Christ alone for our salvation. And so know the assurance of sins forgiven now and eternal life with you forever. And may we live as your people in obedience to the scriptures which so wonderfully speak of him. And we ask this in his name. Amen.